To the Ether, today's Thursday, August 11th, 2022. Today on the Ether, the Levana Protocol DeFi Deep Dive on Real Yield. Hosted by Jonathan Karras. Let's take a listen. Hey, everybody. I'm Jonathan Karras. I think we're going to wait just a couple minutes to give people time to get started. This is a uh, a very special AMA. This is something that I've been excited about, and this concept of uh, real yield and ex- explaining it. It's gone through a many different terminologies over the last six years that I've been involved in the crypto space, and it's not a new concept. It's something I remember back in 2016. Um, as, a, as a topic of conversation that would come up. And um, definitely it was a, a major topic in 2017 at the ICO uh, run. But, well, um, okay, let's, uh, let's jump into it. Now, I don't have a, a co-host up here, um, so I'd love if somebody in the audience, it's a lot easier to talk with somebody. So there's some uh, familiar faces here, Turkey, Max, um, Robert, you know, I saw Harry was here. I guess he jumped off. But um, if anybody else wants to come up and, you know, we can have a conversation, I know that's, uh, it, that's a lot more fun. If not, I'm happy to just uh, tell some stories and to introduce the concept and how this is, um, you know, how, uh, how this has evolved over time and where I think that it would to define the concept of what is, uh, uh, what is, uh, real yield or true yield or sustainable token economics. Um, and if you want to hear a, there's actually a lecture that I was invited to give um, in 2020 at Ethereal. So it was a, an online conference. Um, and I, I gave a presentation on a token economic model that I had uh, circulated within some investor groups that was how to identify if a project um, was focusing on um, sustainability or was focusing on growth through emissions. But those are a lot of, um, of complicated topics. And so I'll try and uh, break it down into, um, uh, into, a, into an organized uh, thought process. So the first thing that uh, I think is worth mentioning is when we look at um, when we look at how tokens are distributed and, and what gives a token value, uh, the what gives a token value is obviously the free market. Um, a token by itself really can't be um, backed by anything in the free, free world. So the token is only going to become valuable if people want it. And now there's two reasons why people would want um, anything. Uh, the, the first reason is that they would want it because um they there's some type of service that that the token or or just any real world item provides you know i get a a bottle of uh, coke zero um it provides the service that i'm thirsty and i can drink it um i get a painting um a painting is a little bit different i might get that painting because i enjoy the painting i i like putting it on my wall and i like looking at it uh or i might get a painting because i think that it's going to accrue value i think that Somebody else later, um, maybe the artist will pass away. Maybe it'll become famous. Maybe it'll become scarce. Um, and so I'll be able to sell it. I think baseball cards and many other things um, have these, these same uh, economic values. Some people buy baseball cards because they like the baseball cards. Some people buy them because they hope to resell them at a, at a profit at a later date. Now, um, 
there's always a question as to what creates the um, buying pressure for a token. And whenever you look at a, a token economic model, you have to always ask yourself the question as to why is there going to why are there going to be future uh, purchasers? Um, what's going to be the service that it provides? Whether it's social clout um, or whether it's a, some type of actual utility, um, or it could be that it has um, the it acts um, in a similar way to um, how ownership in some organizations like a company works where when you own a portion of the network you actually are entitled to uh, a rights to a percentage of the fees that are generated from that network now these are fundamentally different uh, results um, or and different uh, mindsets now if we look back um, at uh, at the first uh, cryptocurrency bitcoin so it provided a service, which is that it was a, a limited asset that people could use to to trade on the internet with, um, that it didn't require a third party, and it it had an instant settlement layer, and it was it was low fees, and and it became initially just a collector's item, and then over time, um, you know, we all know the pizza story, and with the first time that Bitcoin was ever used as um, a unit account or, or medium of exchange, and then over time, it as services around it, um, primarily and uh, at least initially nefarious services, things like uh, Silk Road, etc. When they came to market, then um, Bitcoin now actually had a real utility that it became the settlement layer for things that um, were to ways to make uh, anonymous payments over the internet. That was really the, the first use case. And that in of itself had an inherent value. Um, so that justified as to why somebody would want to buy it. Now, the, the miners were at the time uh, minting either 50 new Bitcoin or 25 Bitcoin every, um, every 10 minutes. And so there was this high level of inflation that was coming into the network that over time would, would scale down um, in the halving. Um, which happens every four years uh, on Bitcoin. Now, when the when Ethereum came around and people started being able to, um, uh, to be able to create their own money with the standardization of uh, ERC twenty tokens um, and the uh, maturation of uh, Solidity, and that you could write your own applications, um, which uh, created use cases for your own token. So then, that's when in two thousand or late two thousand. 16 and then early 2017 we had the ico boom and the classic uh concept around the ico boom is um is that everybody gets to make their own money because just like governments if you get to make your own money and you force other people to pay in that money then you're going to create a natural demand for the money and then you can have a printer which just goes you know were or burr and you'll be able to um, uh, you'll you'll be able to through seniorage just um, create your own economy and then backdeal yourself um, a whole bunch of your own money um, that you made out of thin air, and that was the token economic model for um, pretty much everything in 2017. It was you know if you looked at it, there were things like dent coin, like oh this will be the the coin that dentists use. To accept their service, or there will be vegan coin, and this is what vegans will use when they go to restaurants. Um, and the the joke, you know, and then lemonade coin, and we're going to make lemonade stands, and everybody just has to has to pay for the the, the lemonade with the lemonade token. Um, but that didn't wasn't really sustainable because it doesn't make sense that for every different store that you're going to go to, there's going to be a specific coin for that store. So that token economic model, which was um, we're going to make our own money and, and we're going to inflate it and everybody's going to be forced to, to buy it in order to use our service. Um, that fell apart. Now, if we fast forward to uh, a few years later, uh, 2020, so that's when we had in the, in the summer, um, I guess it really started kind of in the fall, um, when DeFi started picking up. And there were a few darling childs of DeFi at the time. Um, the one most notably was uh, MakerDAO. 
So MakerDAO, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it is a um, an over collateralized stablecoin. It was is, uh, initially launched um, by a guy named Rune, and it uh, was you would come to it and it would allow you. It provided a service, and that service was you could create U.S. dollar denominated debt um, called Dai, um, which would be backed by your Ethereum token, like your ETH token. And what they did is that they worked to make sure that there were ample liquidity pools. They would um, the, they would run bots to try and keep the die pegged very closely to the dollar, and that was a, that was a service that was generally provided. And then now they could mint this die, which was really um, a debt token, uh, like an IOU, um, would be minted against your locked Ethereum. And you would pay a fee for that service, so it gave you a, a it gave you liquidity to your ETH tokens that you didn't want to sell. And if you didn't sell at that time, I think I think I remember it might have been about eighty dollars. And ETH was around eighty dollars at the time. And so this was the first product within the crypto space within Ethereum that that I saw uh, at least where the token um, where the service and the token actually made sense. They had two tokens. They had the Dai token, which was the dollar-denominated debt, and then they had the MKR, the Maker token, um, which was the the governance token and provided risk against the system, and then also collected the fees of the network. And so, as any user used MakerDAO to mint Dai, essentially take a loan against their um, against their uh, Ethereum tokens. Then they were paying interest to the MakerDAO system, and if they didn't manage their uh, uh, their debt to uh, loan ratio, then they would get liquidated and they would get charged. It was only a partial liquidation, which I think was very smart, and they would charge a thirteen percent fee. And it was through this method that MakerDAO was able to earn millions of dollars in profits because they provided a real service that was really useful to a large audience. And the way that they tied it back into their token of, uh, of MKR was that they would, they would actually take those fees and they would buy, market buy MKR off of the market and they would burn it. And so then that meant that the, as the platform was more, uh, more and more successful and as it generated more and more fees, it became a, um, it became uh, a constant buyer of 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 the MKR token off of the market. Um, initially, a market called Oasis, um, and then uh, and then it it became popular on uh, Uniswap. Um, it was a uh, high uh, liquidity uh, trading pair on Uniswap, and so now we had a base model um, that we could learn from as researchers in the space, and we could look and say. Okay, what is it that MakerDAO is doing different than every other token? And what they were doing different is that they were collecting fees for providing a real service, and then they were taking those fees and they were funneling it back into the token holders that um, owned and operated the network. And this was uh, revolutionary in the crypto space. The crypto space had been around for about eight years at the time, and this was again, at least as I understand it, was the first uh, instance. Now. As DeFi really took off, um, then there was uh, there was um, there was something called uh, there was uh, I'm trying to think of what the first instance that I remember of it um, something called yield farming. It might have been with Compound, um, where there's the it was a token distribution method where if you use the platform, then for free you will get a distribution of the governance token of the platform, uh, which was great. And people were very excited uh, to use Compound. And I remember, I think it was like Compound went from like $60 and then it shot up to like $300 during that time period. And it was very exciting. And what people realized was that they didn't actually care about using the service of Compound, which was a lending and borrowing platform, um, similar to MakerDAO, but I think less innovative. But they could just wash trade and just use the platform um, aggressively with millions of dollars um, being loaned and, and then reloaned 
um, and you know you would borrow and then put it back in and borrow and put it back in, um, all so that you would just get these emissions of the comp token. And that, um, I think, kicked off, if memory serves me correctly, the whole uh, DeFi summer and the farming summer. And what was, um, what was really um, interesting about this is that it, um, while not really being sustainable, it showed that the, um, that the community had matured to an extent where they would, um, where they recognized um, the, uh, the, they recognized the value of this distribution network or this distribution method. And they would set aside capital and then bring that capital to each new product as they started their own yield farming. So there was ways to, and then we had, um, you know, we had the whole six months um, or, or maybe even longer of uh, meme coins that were all food focused, whether it was, uh, you know, whether it was pickle or, or sushi or um, yam or many other uh, methods. And um, it was uh, around this time that, uh, um, that Curve uh, came to market and Curve uh, was an innovative product that had a um, that uh, recognized that stable coins were incredibly valuable and that different regions of crypto needed different stable coins and that building uh, an atomic swap mechanism and an AMM that was optimized for low slippage with kind assets where each of the assets was worth a dollar or each of the assets was supposed to be worth an ETH or a Bitcoin, that Uniswap really wasn't, um, wasn't optimized for that. And so by building a product that was optimized for it, they uh, curve was able to capture a, a vast majority of the of the um, of the stable coins uh, in the space on Ethereum, and then also with that um, most of the stablecoin trading volume. And they charged low fees, but because it was such high volume, they were able to collect a significant amount of the revenue. And then they came up with um, a token economic model that I think to this day is probably one of the most um, uh, innovative and uh, real yield uh, concepts. And it's a concept um, where if you are, it's very similar to dividends within the traditional finance space, where if you stake their governance token, then you have a right to a percentage of the yield of the network. And then that's, uh, you know, where the, now we started having conversations about yield. And it became very trendy and important within the market to uh, to compare different protocols of the, the yield that they would give. Um, and then as this became a, uh, a strong narrative, the focus as to where the yield came from, whether or not the yield came from uh, profits that from providing an objective service, or the yield came from uh, market making of emissions of a token, that subtlety really fell apart um, on the market and and disappeared. And the and 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 then we got into um, a a market where it really didn't matter where the yield came from. Um, it didn't matter whether it was through hyperinflation of a token. Um, all that mattered was that I would be able to get out before you got out. Um, so then there were concepts and terminology around full, full zero, you know, the, the initial um, cronies within the group um, or, you know, the, the people who had first looked, whether it was the, the initial investors or um, the, the people on, on Discord or before something became popular or dumping onto pool one, the people that would come and would buy it on uh, the retail that would buy it. But yield really focused on the, um, the total dollar equivalent that you could receive from a token um, while, while emissions were very high, while the amount of tokens that were distributed over time were very high. Um, and, and it became completely devoid of any concept of um, profitability to, to a network. And so then we um, came and, and we saw a lot of, uh, a lot of networks that would, would try and use time delays 
um, to stretch out the amount of time between uh, when um, a token would have high yield or high emissions, um, high subsidies, uh, let's call it, um, as to when the the party would stop um, and everything would fall apart. Because we recognized over time that that, this was a consistent um, narrative, that you would start out um, and and it was a very common uh, mechanism is that in order to get the high yields, you needed to provide liquidity um, of a stable coin plus this uh, this emission token, this governance token. So everybody rushes, everybody wants the high yield. And so it doesn't matter what the product is or what the product does. You just look at what the APY is um, for the product. And then you rush out and you buy um, a very illiquid token. And then you stake that token. And sometimes um, single-sided staking, sometimes as a pair, um, and then you receive very high APY or APR, um, sometimes measured in the tens of thousands of percentage. And then the uh, this method would just move um, from one project to another project, kind of leaving um, death and destruction in its wake. And it became more and more sophisticated, and 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 more methods like lockups um, were involved in it. Um, until it eventually, you know, crashed. And I think that, uh, you know, what we saw um, at Terra was, was uh, you know, looking back on it, unfortunately, was the, the biggest, um, the biggest uh, instance of this type of a crash because of the, um, the uh, subsidies that were given out um, through Anchor um, and because of the, 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 me- the method and the swapping and redemption mechanism um, between uh, Luna and UST. Now, um, what's so excited about the concept of real yield um, is that it's a return to core concepts um, that really, I believe, caused the bull run of DeFi or the, um, the, the explosive growth, Cambrian explosion of DeFi in the first place. And that was a focus on building, uh, for lack of a better term, companies, businesses, because business is the right term, businesses that are designed to solve a problem, designed to charge fees for that problem, designed to charge fees in currency that's popular and that anybody uh, that people already owned, not to necessarily force you to buy their specific token. And then to take um, those fees, uh, pull those fees together, and then uh, through one way or another, whether it's through buybacks, um, whether it's through uh, dividends or, or distribution, um, whether it's through stake, um, staking rewards or, or validator rewards, um, to, to give those rewards back to the community that helped grow the platform. And over the last, I guess it's uh, two weeks, but it's definitely um, not so much longer than that, uh, we've really seen a number of products come to market to be um, exemplified um, and showcased as products that earn significant revenue. Now, my favorite place to, uh, to track the revenue that different products are, um, are actually earning uh, is on Token Terminal. So that's tokenterminal.xyz. So if you, if you go to Token Terminal, I actually just opened it up here on the screen. Um, you can look at their free dashboard, and and these guys are great. I've seen the uh, the the platform, um, you know, uh, many times before. Um, you can see who the the biggest earners on uh, on the network are, and so um, you know, just looking at it uh, and and running through protocol revenue, and obviously there's different ways to uh, to measure this, um, but uh, something like OpenSea, which provides a service, they have a marketplace. People buy; they collect a fee for it. Um, their, you know, their um, protocol revenue over the last six months is a little over a quarter million dollars, or sorry, a quarter billion dollars. And then, if you look at DYDX, who's uh, in uh, the place after that, um, two hundred million dollars in the last six months. Um, we can slide kind of down. Uh, MetaMask earned six hundred fifty million dollars over 18 uh, 180 days pancake swap after that and you'll notice a trend 
um, you know, Ethereum name services on here. Uh, even MakerDAO is still on here. MakerDAO earned $25 million in the last six months. Um, and then things like Synthetics, um, Filecoin, Curve, Curve earned $18 million in the last, uh, last um, uh, six months. And so it's a very simple concept, uh, but it's a concept that it's important that is communicated very clearly to by thought leaders in the space that it's it's important to build a business that that provides a service, collects fees on that service, and then has a way to distribute that to the the owners of of the of the business. And I think ultimately the only thing that's sustainable um, is this model. And there's a number of different methods, um, you know, to create uh, to create value, and then to link the value that your um, that the that the business creates um, to the owners of the business. But it is, um, uh, but it's it's up to us, the community, to to want to do that, to want to participate in networks um, that that are focusing on sustainability and are focusing on um, providing value. And and we can look at some of the examples that um, that could have done it, but uh, but didn't do it. Um, you know, I think you know we've uh, I've, I've spoken at length um, in various other AMAs um, about how um, how DeFi Kingdom was so successful at bringing on a quarter million users onto an empty chain like uh, Harmony One, and how that was so um, incredible. Um, and they started out with with high um, emissions. Um, but at the end of the day, the rewards were not because they were, that they provided a service that, um, that charged fees. And then those fees uh, were funneled to the, the, the owners. Rather, they just um, printed tokens. And again, like anything with supply and demand, if you print at infinitum, then you constantly cre- keep introducing sell pressure into the market without it impacting buy pressure into the market. And eventually at some point, if buy pressure collapses, then, um, then, then sell pressure uh, actually increases because now everybody wants to dump. And then that's when you have a death, death spiral of, of a token and you really kill a network. Um, so if we, again, look at what are the most profitable um, products that are in the market today, um, it's it's clearly uh, the the perpetual industry. the The perpetual industry um, is the most profitable product in crypto. And there's, uh, if you look at, um, well, number one, the tr- trading is the most profitable industry as a whole. And then uh, perpetuals um, are the most um, the most lucrative on a per user basis. And this is um, because every trade, every position that's opened within a uh, a perpetual future contract is a a form of debt, and debt um, charges interest, and that interest is constant. So if you um, if you trade on something like OpenSea or Uniswap, the Owners of the network, which is the community, you know, the community that owns um, that owns the Uni token. So uh, Uniswap only makes a profit when actual trading happens on the the platform. If I take my um, my USDC and which is a whole nother conversation we could have. Um, if I take my USDC and I trade it to Uniswap, then Uniswap is going to collect a 0.2% fee um, with some of that going to um, uh, liquidity providers and um, and then uh, ultimately some of that going back to uh, the, the Uni token holders. Um, and now the, the problem is, is that now if I take that ETH token that I just purchased on Uniswap and I put that in my wallet and it just sits there for the next year, Uniswap doesn't make any money off of that. It just sits there dead. Now, let's compare that to uh, to perps. With perps, if you trade, um, if you open a position, let's say it's a it's a 10x 
you know, ETH leverage position, then you, um, then you, the, it's really, it's sometimes it's every block, sometimes it's uh, every hour, sometimes it's every eight hours, sometimes it's once a, once a day, but you need to pay, you, the, the, the trader that opened that position, you're essentially borrowing uh, nine ETH. You put in one ETH as collateral, you're borrowing another nine ETH. Um, that nine ETH that you borrowed, you have to pay fees, fees on it. So even if you are just to sit with this position, um, you, will, you will constantly be paying fees from, and they already have your money because they, they, they have your collateral. Now, if you look at like a platform like GMX, um, the, the half-life of uh, the collateral on GMX, meaning the amount of time it takes for the fees to eat up half of your collateral, um, is, it, it varies depending upon the utilization ratio, meaning how much of the, um, the, the pool of capital is being utilized by borrowers. But let's say that it's somewhere between 10% and you know, 25% um, of the pool is utilized. So then the the half life, as far as I understand it, um, on the fees is going to uh, is going to last about um, four to six months. Now, in most leverage positions, um, there's something called liquidation. So as you get uh, as there, there's a ratio between the amount of money that you borrowed um, and the amount of collateral that you have in the platform. So uh, leverage platforms actually have a very interesting uh, phenomena that. Um, that if you just hold the position for too long, you will end up just getting wiped out and liquidated. Um, and, and it can also be um, wildly unpredictable because as utilization ratios change, you will have um, the, 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 the cost of borrowing that capital is going to change as well. And when, if you thought that your collateral would last you a month before liquidation, um, you know, it could end up being uh, two weeks later. Um, because of a, a spike in utilization, and you end up getting wiped out. So, but now if you are, that's bad for the trader, but it's also very good for um, the platform itself because part of being liquidated is collecting, or part of uh, the benefit of the platform when liquidation happens is um, is liquidation fees. Now, another very interesting thing about um, about uh, trading platforms and why they are so lucrative is because um, trading is hard and it's a, it, if it's, if it's built correctly, if the platform is designed or built correctly, then it is a zero sum game. Meaning that the platform only, um, you know, the, the platform will never pay out more than it takes in. If it, if it pays out more than it takes in, then it becomes insolvent. And I think we've spoken on a, um, a few other AMAs about insolvency. Um, I know we've spoken about that on the Levana Discord, um, but a, 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 an exchange, and especially a leverage exchange like a PERPS, um, there's many models that we saw, um, like the the constant product model, the virtual AMM model. Um, they um, go insolvent when there's massive market movements in, in one direction. So it's it's not a good uh, model to create um, or to, uh, to to build or to to trade upon. But if you have a, a model that's sound and will never go insolvent, then um, it's, it's very easy to grow. The market is very young. Um, there's a lot of room for different players. And as what we've seen in the last, I would say, maybe three months, um, one of the ways that a lot of the noise has fallen away from the ecosystem is that platforms with bad token economic models that were not focused around um, what we're you know naming today as uh, as real yield. Um, you know, I would call it sustainable token economics. Um, so if they're if they weren't focused on real yield, then they were crushed and then never recovered. You know, from the market wipeout. You know, between May and July, and so that's given the market um, a wonderful opportunity to look uh, very closely at the protocols that survived and then to identify the commonalities between those protocols as to how they survived. And then that's what creates a new standard. And, and that's what that's, this is like, it's like we're watching evolution um, and survival of the fittest um, in real time at, and not over the course of millions of years, but over the course of, of months. And 
you know, one of the things that I love about this space is that it really is trial by fire. You know, you build something that's not sustainable. It might work in a bull run. Um, you might be able to rug people. Um, other people will try your same methodology, but eventually there's always pullbacks. Eventually there's always crashes. When you're in a rapidly expanding industry, you go through, um, you go through uh, times of rapid growth and then times of rapid uh, uh, contractions. I think this was my either my third or fourth bear market um, in crypto uh, since I came, you know, since I uh, started uh, working in the space. I guess this is my third. Um, and it's, um, and I think that as um, we move forward, uh, the, the emphasis and narrative on, um, on real yield and on differentiating between subsidies, which are non-sustainable, and profits, which are sustainable, um, will become, um, you know, will be will become uh, the difference between a platform that lasts ten months and the, the the platform that lasts ten years, and then that commonality as to what has lasted so long um, will uh, allow for future builders to take those models and to continue. Um, building in the same lines of those models, so it's uh, it's very exciting to see you know the the focus on um, first of all perpetuals and how perpetuals that were designed to be sustainable and designed to um, uh, to have um, well fundedness uh, de- designed to not blow up um, or to go into insolvency um, during market meltups or market meltdowns that those are the ones um, that. Uh, that survived through the bear market, and and I think that we'll see um, as uh, as as perps um, and as derivatives um, grow uh, to have the same ratio to spot as they do in the traditional finance market, which you know where we'd see now like a, about a forty x growth. Like that's what I personally anticipate. Um, you know, obviously uh, I don't have a crystal ball or anything, but the the space in general. Um, I think that we're going to see the the, the daily trading volume on perpetuals um, massively grow um, as the space matures and as a lot of the noise um, fades away, you know. And and one thing that you can ask yourself, and this is a a, a term or um, an an idiom um, that I think is very strong, that is uh, if you don't know where the money comes from, then the money comes from you. And this was something that I think first came to me um, in reference to Facebook. But I think it's very applicable here in the crypto space is that, you know, we ask, like, how is it possible that Facebook is free? You know, that like they don't even like really sell anything. And the thing that they're selling is you. Um, so it's, it's the same thing in crypto is that if you don't know where the money or where the yield is coming from, then it's, it's really coming from you. It's, it's really coming from the buying pressure that you are temporarily creating. And when you are buying and entering into the market, then it means that the that the the people who got in there earlier than you, um, they're they're exiting their position and they're moving on to the next project. Um, so it's again just to to summarize because I know we've been talking about this for half an hour now, is that um, yield uh, should be measured in APR, and there's a difference between APR and APY, and, and um, but it, it really should be measured in APR. It either comes from profits of the platform. Or it comes from um, subsidies through printing um, uh, governance tokens or some other type of a of a token, and it is um, if the the profits come from uh, providing a service, that's a good thing. Um, if it comes from you know performance fees, um, you know from yield that's generating on other platforms, that's also a good thing. Um, if it's purely just a distribution method and just um, being, uh, you know, being, uh, the, like a money printer going were, then eventually that's going to, to die. Um, and so the, you know, the, the tool that I highly recommend is to look at token terminal, look at your favorite projects and to look at the actual, um, revenue that's being generated by these projects. And then to learn more about the, um, uh, the how they tie back in that revenue back into the um, into the token economics um, and you know very great projects that had like phenomenal um, success at, at, at during bull markets like let's say Axie Infinity 
um, you know, Axie Infinity, it earns about, I don't know, it's about $10,000 a day um, in revenue. Um, but if you, you know, compare that, and that's, that's in fees on their platform. Um, you know, if you compare that, um, you know, to, to GMX, who's earning a quarter million dollars a day. So it's, a, it's again, it's, you know, there's only so much that you can just mint a token and then, and then expect to sell a token. But if you actually create um, a product that provides a service and, and leverages a, a service that there's a huge market for and there's a growing market for, um, then, um, then you can collect fees from that. And then it's really up to, to, to you and the community as to what those fees are, are dedicated to. Are those, are those fees just distributed as dividends? Are they used to to build to to, to you know to build other things? Um, you know, you could uh, like I mean, heck, if you're if you're generating a quarter million dollars a day, I mean, you could go out and buy a movie studio and then make a movie. Um, you could uh, you know you could you could build your own Xbox. I mean, there's so much that you could do as like a, a long term vision if you're successful in generating something like you know even a hundred thousand dollars a day of uh, of protocol revenue. So it all comes back to creating a, a profitable foundation um, and then having that foundation be sustainable and having those profits come from uh, providing a real service and then, um, uh, you know, and then having that, that, that service funnel the token into a way uh, or funnel those profits um, to the right people um, to, to help grow uh, the, the network, help grow the, the future use uh, of the platform in a sustainable fashion. And to be honest, I mean, looking at like some of these, uh, these um, numbers on token terminal of just uh, fees that are collected, I'm like shocked that, that these people haven't like bought, uh, you know, bought a movie studio or done something like crazy like that. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's like, what do you do when you are, are pulling in a quarter million dollar of uh, revenue a day? Um, but I guess, uh, I guess everybody has their own uh, aspirations. Um, so I want to pause right now because I know that we have some questions that came up in the Discord. Uh, so let's. Um, okay, so this is um, uh, Zrillian. So Jonathan spoke briefly about this the other day, and I imagine we'll again today. But I'm interested in the difference between Lavana's Perp Exchange, DYDX, and GMX, and then some of the other ones that are coming, like Vortex. Um, and why will Lamanas be better, more secure, less prone to collapse? Um, so, uh, first of all, I mean, DYDX and uh, GMX are both great platforms. Um, they've solved a lot of the problems of the, the earlier versions. Um, both of them uh, use um, a form of pooled liquidity. Um, I think DYDX, you know, being really heavily tied to, uh, to Circle, to USDC, um, is a choke point and will eventually be a choke point. Um, they also, um, are a hub that, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, it's, you, you don't want to fling, fling mud at like the King, like DYDX is the King. Um, DYDX is what made me fall in love with, uh, with perpetuals, you know, over two years ago. Um, and I know that I know many people on the DYDX team, um, and, uh, you know, in the Starkware team, and, uh, it's a phenomenal product that I really have almost nothing bad to say about it, but I think that it's vision is a vision that's that's very web two um that's very focused on just okay we're gonna do what uh bitmex does and what fdx does we're just gonna do it straight from your ethereum wallet um and there's uh you know i think that there's a lot of opportunity to do new things that to have a much more modular approach um that uh to have a much more um effective token economic model than um what uh, DYDX does, uh, and I hope that they will grow and that they will improve. Um, but I also think that uh, that Lavonic can be an innovator in the space. Um, GMX is also a phenomenal product, um, uh, very very influential, and uh, you know very uh, humbled by the product um, that they've created. Uh, but I think that some of the uh, the challenges that they've created is again is uh, is lack of modularity, meaning that you can't run GMX on two hundred different chains. Um, GMX uses pooled uh, assets. They create an ETF. They create a basket. Uh, when you become a, a liquidity provider to GLP, um, which is their 
um, their pooled liquidity. So then you're exposed to all of the notional assets that are within that pool. Um, and that, uh, that um, is, uh, is um, I think uh, it's, it's a great uh, marketing technique because it's very um, valuable for, you know, an ETF is a very valuable product in of itself. And then tying an ETF to be the um, liquidity pool for a, um, uh, a perp swap is a, is a great idea. Uh, I wish I had thought of that. That's, uh, it's brilliant. But the downside that it has is that um, is that there's a contagion risk within the platform, meaning that if one of the assets that's in that's in the uh, in the pool collapses, um, and the smart contracts target a certain um, like Oracle based uh, dollar equivalent um, uh, uh, weighted. Uh, a percentage weight of that asset. Like, let's say, for example, let's say the GMX had had Luna. It didn't have Luna, but let's say it had Luna. And it targeted that 15% of the total value of the pool um, should have been um, in Luna. Then as Luna was crashing, it would have, um, first of all, it would have given all of the um, LPs, the people that owned Luna, it would have given them all a significant haircut, um, you know, which would have been unfortunate. But then, it, if unless somebody pushed a big red button to just like stop, um, you know, stop uh, redemption from the pool or contribution from the pool, um, what it would have done is allow for um, not even just nefarious actors, for just anybody to just keep dumping Luna into the pool because the pool is constantly trying to regain that fifteen percent dollar equivalent, fifteen uh, percent um, uh, composition, uh, which would have been impossible to do it with the rate that Luna collapsed. So. Um, so I think that there's that while it's a it's a great um, go to market strategy, the contagion risk of having the the pooled capital um, means that it's very risky to list new tokens. It means that it can't be a permissionless platform that just uh, supports any token. It can only be a platform that um, that really has a, a cartel or a committee that picks which assets are listed, um, and it can't just be deployed anywhere. Um, really the, our vision for the Levana perps is think of it as like a, um, a cookie cutter that there could be a, uh, an, an instance of, of Levana perps, um, installed on top of Kajira that would then allow for, um, long and short and Delta neutral yield farming of Kajira tokens. And then it can be on Juno. Um, providing the same thing for Juno tokens. It can be on Osmosis, providing the same thing for um, Osmosis tokens. And if you look at the growth of um, that, of, uh, of uh, Cosmos uh, um, application-specific chains, um, we're, we're seeing hundreds of them. I envision a world where um, Lavana is a utility that enhances every single Cosmos chain, that enables um, shorting um uh delta neutral um uh uh farming or uh staking strategies and leverage long exposure um on every cosmos chain and that's something that you couldn't do with DYDX and you couldn't do with um uh you couldn't do with GMX um so what we've uh you know what we've what we've tried to do is just take a look at um what are the successful products and then, how can we innovate uh, beyond them? And I think that uh, that you know the that the team of researchers that contribute to Lomana um, and the core devs that build have done just a phenomenal job of of uh, identifying the uh, areas that uh, innovation can really occur, and then um, to to really build it. And you know, I know that uh, we're targeting a test net in a, in a few weeks. Um, you know we're we're going to be uh um uh you know we're going to be deploying um an options trading protocol uh primarily to get uh you know consumer feedback on options trading you know options is really interesting because options actually predated uh perps um but never was successful there there really isn't a, a single instance it's so successful in the traditional finance world um and it, it's just it's so popular and there's so much um trading volume on on options um, it like dwarfs the spot market, but it's just never taken off. So we're excited to 
you know, to really um, get an options product uh, into testnet, um, get people playing with it and get people um, doing user participating in usability studies with us to understand what they like and what they don't like. Um, and to, to try and uh, uh, to try and work from there and to see, is there a way to, uh, you know, I don't, don't mind the pun um, is to, um, uh, to to try and identify what is a way that options can be brought to crypto um, in a, in a successful manner, but while at the same time, um, you know, the core Levana team is uh, is bringing to testnet um, in a few weeks uh, this um, uh, this this new uh, approach to a backend for a perpetual swap, which is you know we tried to touch the front end as little as possible because the front end wasn't broken. Really, where the innovation happens is is all under the hood. How do you make it modular? How do you make fees lower? How do you make it uh, that it's not dependent on stable coins? Oh, that's another thing that I didn't even talk about, but that actually leads us to the second uh, question from uh, um, Sem GMP, um, who's a council member. So he said, "I read today that DYDX was blocking wallets tied to Tornado Cash. What's Lavana's take on this? And will there ever be something like this happening on Lavana Perps?" So. Um, Centralized stablecoins are a systemic risk to the entire crypto space, um, and um, it is. Uh, it, it's you know, if you can have something that's permissionless, if you can have something that can be deployed anywhere, um, if you can have uh, something that can support any market, um, then and it's not about you know just like a core dev team deciding what asset should be or where it should be deployed or anything like that, um, then it is, it's literally impossible, um, you know, to just like wake up one day and say like, oh yeah, we're just going to block this, uh, you know, this thing. Now, granted, I don't support terrorism. I don't support, you know, the DPRK, um, uh, North Korea. Um, and, uh, uh, I guess I support the people, not the regime. That's a better way to put it. Um, but, uh, but I also believe that um, that privacy is a form of free speech, and it's a basic human right. And that by me not wanting my, um, you know, to my employer to be able to see all of my purchases, um, or uh, for somebody to know which political cause, you know, for for anybody that knows my ENS handle to be able to know what my political, you know, which uh, um, political groups that I donate to. Um, it is uh, that that's just an in, in, um, in inalienable human right. Is that how the phrase is, is put? Um, that's morally uh, correct. Um, so I believe that what the U.S. government is is doing with uh, Tornado Cash is immoral. Um, it's not the first immoral thing that the U.S. government has done, obviously, um, and it won't be the last. Um, but uh, it is it's an it's an unfortunate thing, and it's a sad day um, for crypto. And it's definitely a sad day, um, you know, thinking of what what Terra could have been, um, and what position that uh, Terra would have been in um, if this, had, you know, if uh, if um, there was sustainability around Anchor and there wasn't uh, um, everything that happened. Um, and then uh, the last question that I have here is, uh, what type, uh, what order types on the front end UI will be supported? Um, limit market um oco reduce only stop limit so okay um first so okay what's what's currently in the contracts i'm not sure what will come um for the first version but what's in the contracts um is market order um uh limit order i don't i'd have to double check on um but that's definitely something that's uh that's very important stop limit uh okay uh stop limit yes um take profit limit yes um, I don't know what this person wrote. Uh, you wrote stop market and take profit market. Isn't that just closing your position? I don't really understand the terminology there, but maybe I know it by a different name. Um, and will it be also uh, will it be possible to set a stop loss and multiple take profits at the same time? The answer is yes. That was something that uh, that um, was very interesting, and that's also something you can't do with uh, with uh, GMX. But I think it's at least in, in my my personal trading strategies. Um, that was always something that I found very useful is that I might want to take a small moonshot bet, um, you know, for if something just hundred X's, but, uh, but then, you know, the majority of my bags, I don't want to be so over levered. Um, and so I might only have like, you know, 
50 percent uh leverage exposure or or you know like uh 5x leverage exposure something like that so i think it is super useful and yes those are already built into the contracts um is uh take profit um multiple positions on the same um on the same asset pair the ability to hold a long and a short at the same time um those were all considerations uh that were important and those are the types of things also that you don't see on on gmx and you don't see on many other platforms so um you know, one of the criticisms that we have internally and one of the battles that we have um, is um, that we've been trying to over perfect this thing. Um, and uh, and I, I, I take that criticism. I take it to heart. Um, it is uh, it's you know, it's, it's not easy. There's a lot of scar tissue. Um, but I think that ultimately what we bring to market will be um, will be uh, very innovative in the space. And we'll have a lot of competitive advantages over the things that we are seeing now um, turn up uh, seemingly out of nowhere, but it's really not out of nowhere. It's because they came on sound principles. Um, and uh, so I've been talking now for an uh, you know almost an hour, um, and I'm amazing that there's still people here listening. Thank you guys for uh, and gals for for listening to this. But if you want to hear, um, if you want, if you go on YouTube. Uh, you can actually hear of this uh, this a presentation that I made the first time I gave this was was almost three years ago um, and so uh, I I gave it so many times that I was eventually asked to come and give it as a presentation at Etherreal um, so if you go to YouTube and you write uh, sustainable token economics um, so you'll see there's a there, there's a by Ethereal Summit, there's a video called Token Economics for Sustainable and Profitable Crypto-Based Businesses um, featuring Jonathan Karras. Um, so that's it. I'm happy to stop talking now and to take any questions if anybody has any questions. Um, and if not, um, then I'll see you guys at the next time I get to host on AMA. Okay, so um, I'll take that as a good thing. Um, and, uh, I look forward to hearing from, uh, you all in the, in the future. If anybody, I don't know, I don't actually control it. So you can put your hand up if you wanted to say something or instead of requesting to talk. Um, I don't know if the, um, but you're always welcome to reach out, um, directly. Uh, the Levana Twitter handle has DMs open. Um, the discord is a fun place, uh, to hang out. And I look forward to, to chatting with you guys all in the future. Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Levana Protocol DeFi Deep Dive on Real Yield, hosted by Jonathan Karras, recorded on Thursday, August 11th, 2022. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Digging in the dirt, trying to find the treasure Learning how to mix this business with pleasure I'm kicking a lecture, spitting conjecture High as a bird while I'm flipping the gesture Living like a jester, infesting these extras Dissecting a mess, an eagle looking headstrong Infinitesimal, the spit in his next world And if you don't agree, well then I'm afraid you're dead wrong So leave the mess hall and clean your plates up I can't believe the rest of y'all feed on makeup Bereavement breakup to rearrange your wake up Big ol' bloody mess like a scene from Braveheart Driving race Cars that beat the fate, it's hard to meet your maker when the features ain't marked. Trying to slide underneath the paywall. I'm afraid this motherfucker's gone AWOL. You had better unfuck yourself or I will unscrew your head and kick down your neck! Sir, yes, sir! Private Joker, why did you join my beloved gold? Sir, to kill, sir! No, you're a killer! Sir, yes, sir! Let me see your war face! Sir! You got a war face? on the earth trying to mine some headspace give a little gift like I'm lifted dead weights the risk of resting kicks the nest egg square in the nuts y'all feeling testy three swept in no need of resting the least depressing so sweet but messy I need the best day to keep professing and hope my body doesn't leave behind a red stain pouring out a little liquor for the dead states while the rest wait and bleed domestic no means to gestate breeds the best cake beauty on the back of the queen she just ate so take a little dive down a K-hole while I flip the B-roll right into A-roll and make the payroll go a little further. Replace the merger with the tainted version.
teach you. Now get up, get on your feet. Ten spaces.